1: Hello and welcome to Guitar Nerds Live, the uh, live version of the Guitar Nerds podcast that is hosted over on Discord uh, and is exclusively, well, at least to uh, join in anyway, for our Patreon listeners. I'm your host, Mark Packham, joined this evening by uh, everyone's favourite japester, Joe Branton. Ah, hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, we were just uh, saying in the little warm up to this episode, you're doing, when we were doing the sound test, that uh, you've been out this week, and I haven't feels like I haven't spoken to you for ages.
0: Yeah, it, it actually feels like ages. I've been away on tour, and I've only been I've only been away for like three, four days, but just I guess because I haven't been in the near nonstop stop uh, text conversations I'm in with you, Jay and Matt, it, it does feel you know it, it it feels like you know we've been separated for a long time. I've missed you.
1: The uh, the difference between you being not on tour and on tour is unbelievable because normally it's you that are providing the non-stop content in our in our uh, signal chat and when you're on tour it's radio silence.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, I've noticed no one's actually talking. Uh, I assume yes, it's.
1: I assume it's because you're just in like a puddle of your own sick somewhere.
0: Yeah. Almost all the time. Actually, no, this is the, uh, this is the first, uh, the first tour that we're doing, uh, with, uh, you know, we're only, only having a few beers each night. First, first tour my band's ever done with a, with a full lighting rig as well. So it's not like just turning up to a, uh, to a venue, you know, with your, with your amps and maybe your drum kit. We have to now get to each venue by like two in the afternoon, spend an hour and a half or so setting up the the lighting rig beforehand because we're still not touring with any roadies we're doing all of that ourselves and then the lighting rig is triggered by a a, via dmx off of um some spdsx pads on our drum kit and a separate uh, midi switcher that i'm controlling so we're so there's actually loads to do
1: there's too much stuff i just turn up p bass amp job done
0: so the the worst, the worst part of this is actually uh, earlier in the year, I was like, right, guys, you know, we've got a sax player on board. We're a five-piece now, an instrumental five-piece. I really am sick of us turning up at venues and, uh, you know, Tim's amps being in soft cases, our keyboard player, Josh, maybe like carrying in his two stands separately and maybe having one of his keyboards in a soft case and the other two in hard cases it was like everyone needs to get flight cases for everything so we spent loads of money on getting everything flight cased i got that massive flight case for my uh, ashdown ctm 300 big valve head and uh, then we had the lighting rig you know we got the smoke machine um and we found that it doesn't all fit in our van so uh, the day <laughs> before <laughs> so the day before we went away or the day we were going away I was like right what can we change and it was everyone was like it's going to be your Ashdown CTM 300 head because of course that thing weighs an absolute ton and it's flight cased it's essentially the size of a you know a normal guitar combo just for the head and weighs 10 times as much so I've had to change to the the Ashdown ABM 600 and then take all of our cabs out of flight cases so i You know, I feel moderately depressed that we've uh, hemorrhaged so much money on proper storage and uh, now can't fit it.
1: I can't believe that you got your cab's flight case. No one does that. Yeah, I know.
0: It was silly. Well, I didn't do the bass one, we did the guitar ones.
1: Right. Got it. Yeah. I mean, there's no point. The bass thing's built like a tank anyway. Exactly. Um, we are gonna. Ha- we have got a topic that we want to talk about tonight. And if you are in the chat live, you're more than welcome to uh, to jump in. We're talking about what piece of gear we want to see released in 2020. Obviously, gear of the year 2019 is approaching. Uh, and as we break into a new decade, I want to see what people want released in 2020. But uh, while we're talking about touring, we've actually got a question from the chat uh, from user Beardy Physics, uh, who wants to come on the line and ask uh, a question about touring. So let me just uh Set you live, Beardy Physics. You should be on the line. Hey, how's it going? There we go. how are we doing?
0: Uh, it's not too bad. Not too bad.
1: Good, good. So uh, yeah, you got a question about touring?
0: Yeah. So just wondering, like, when you're on tour, what would be your biggest pet peeve in relationship to what your bandmates get up to? And then, what do you think the thing is that you do that oh, mate, know your bandmates the most? That is, uh, that's, that's such a, a dangerous uh questions to have to answer on a podcast um uh, uh the the worst thing that everyone does so so there's a we have a great we have a great policy for uh for making sure that we never have any banned fallouts and that is that we are horrible to each other all of the time so really honest about like uh whenever anything upsets each other and that that and then ensures that there's never any build ups tension because we're all just angry with each other all the time, but I have to like the number one thing. And I think every, every band member, every band who tours uh, with like a full back line almost definitely has this, but our keyboard player, Josh is it is incredibly skilled at uh, at lighting a cigarette just as we start to load in the incredibly heavy lighting rig. Not not when we're doing sort of the guitars or the smaller ramps. He'll make sure that there's he's fine to help with those things. But by the time it gets to the massively heavy, sort of huge flight case of of lights, um, he's he's always he's always smoking, which I think is a, a fantastic skill. And every 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 band must have one a band member that manages to like just miss, um, load in and load out. That, like that.
1: That's my that's my biggest band peeve is that like if people don't help with loading because like even for a small punk band it's like at least load in your own stuff you know whereas like you know some people just get out and think like oh I tell you what before before we do anything I'll go to the bar and. Uh, yeah, that's like uh, that's just rule number one for me is get to the venue. Everyone does load in, then you can do whatever you want up until sound check. Um, if anyone's jumping out and going for a beer before the uh, the load in happens, that's number one for me. Yeah, biddy
0: physics coming back on you. I, I, this, I think the thing that kind of pees me off the most is when the the drummer starts bitching and moaning about not getting enough help getting his stuff in when everyone's tends to help him. Just don't okay. play a
1: stupid instrument. That's the answer to that one. Is, you know, <laughs> play something that's actually good that people care about.
0: I, do, um, I do think I'm, I'm wildly guilty of constantly taking the pistol. so Like my <laughs> bandmates
1: would get wound up at me because I just can't switch off. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's. I don't mind that. Like on tour, like you just have to really kind of get on with each other, like personality-wise, and you kind of find yeah. your groove. And like Joe was saying, his technique is just everyone be rude to each other all the time, which I think kind of works. Then you're not. Uh, there's no pent up aggression.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly.
1: Like Maybe we need to start doing that, Joe, with guitar because I've got a lot of pent up aggression
0: towards you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. I, yeah, well, I, I think you guys are pretty good at that anyway. You know, you, you you're pretty level with me most of the time. I tell you
1: that your mustache is stupid and you've got bad ideas all the time. So you know that's. But there's still, you know, there's deep seated hatred that I should let out more often. It's, it's completely reasonable.
0: It's completely reasonable. Nate Nagel actually asked in the group if in the UK. Uh, we ever often have to supply our own PA, or does the venue have that? Um, I don't think I've ever had to supply a PA. I guess it's some like if you're playing pub shows, you would have to do that. Um, but no, I don't think it's a very common thing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, if you're doing like covers gigs and yeah, like I, I guess like a lot of duos and stuff that play in pubs, like take their own PA, but for you know, real originals bands you know the, the stuff that no one wants to see the, uh, the <laughs> you the, mean like the, instrumental five-piece
0: uh prog bands with sax no, players yeah. i hear that
1: you've got a, a very big london gig lined up a lot of uh kind of facebook numbers on that one
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yeah L- london's actually good for us to tell you where's bad for us glasgow um really falling off really falling off the map recently for for us like scotland in in general is getting getting tough we played uh, played the other day in audio um have you ever played audio mark uh
1: not what in brighton no no in uh in, in glasgow? glasgow no i've only ever played the 13th note which is a venue underneath a cafe
0: yeah, i know where the 13th note is yeah the 13th notes uh, great actually a fantastic venue because around there you've got uh, you've got mono uh, and stereo as well um which are really good they're actually I think 13th note mono and stereo are all owned by the same people and just around the corner from there there's a really cool little second hand guitar shop that's always full of kind of weird and wonderful things the last time I, I went there before now there was a uh, there was like a lovely old uh, 60s hofner violin bass uh, that was completely wrecked up it looked like it had been played in a punk band and uh yeah I've been yeah, I've been really thinking, you know, strongly. I was thinking strongly about about getting that. i tell you what, I'm thinking a lot about Hoffner violin basses at the moment. Do you think I can make it work?
1: Uh, depends on what you go for, I think, because some of them are like more hollow than others. And I just think you kind of, if you got one that's too hollow, then you're going to have serious feedback issues.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know that. Do you reckon a 70s one? When when did they? I don't know the diff. I need to learn more about Hoffner violin bases and find when they put centre blocks in them, how good the centre blocks are and whether or not you can actually get sort of like a 70s one. And, and Here, Here's one for you. Have you heard of a little bass called Defender Precision? No, everyone plays Defender Precision. Although, you know, I will admit I'm listening to an awful lot of Roger Waters' era Pink Floyd at the moment. And that man has an absolutely fantastic P bass tone.
1: Yeah. That's because P basses are brilliant.
0: Yeah. Well. I I I've been I, on this tour, I've been playing um I've been playing my jazz bass, my it's Mexican, but it's the Lacquer uh series that they ran a few years ago. So it was like a yeah, so uh, a nitro finished Mexican-made 60-style jazz bass with um with Fender US pickups in them. Although I'm changing the pickups out for some tree tones. Uh, which are being made for me, which should be nice.
1: I've never heard of that brand before. What's the uh,
0: what's the backstory? I've I've spoken about them a little bit on the podcast before. Do you remember I mentioned a pickup brand that Tim that had that, that made a pickup for Tim, the guitarist in my band? They made him yeah. like a, a a P90 in a humbucker chassis. So they're, they're they're yeah, just a really new, fresh company um over up in Sheffield. Although the the guy who runs the company's from uh, North London and uh yeah just a really interesting approach making stacked pickups so the uh the jazz pace pickups that he's making me are a stacked mix of alnico twos and alnico fives. so in a jazz pickup you get those two pole pieces that are per string yeah for, for yeah. each string you've got one that's an alnico two which is very vintage uh, so you know so not great bass response or treble response but some really pushed mids and then alnico 5s that they're a bit more scoopy and modern and so the blend of those should give me all that vintage mid punch that i want whilst actually still kind of having a really full uh you know fat subby load of low end and enough high end to sort of cut through a more modern style mix so yeah we'll see we'll see i haven't got them yet but uh but i was kind of excited and inspired by how the guy how in-depth the the fellow was about talking about the, the you know the way he designed the pickup specifically around you know the ridiculous things that i'd asked for
1: do you know what? i've never ever thought to change the pickups out on my p bass because i american standard pickups totally fine they just it just sounds like a p bass
0: so the one the one you have would have been before fender started putting their custom shop series pickups in there
1: yeah, yeah, they're just normal. They're just like some Fender standards, P bass pickups, whatever they were at the time, you know, nothing spectacular, no custom shop, no. And it just sounds really good. Like, I love the sound of my bass. And what I find funny about like switching pickups out a lot of the time is like people do it before they've even got the guitar. So have you ever seen that where people are like, yeah, I'm getting a uh, Fender American Strat delivered uh, in a couple of days? What pickup should I put in it? And you
0: just think like, just try it with the normal ones first. Yeah, I don't know if people do it with like American standards. I think people do it when they buy a cheaper guitar. That's quite a sort of uh, a popular thing. I don't know if people do it with the high end ones. Certainly, I think I did it like I did it with my 50s precision base with the, you know, not a real 50s the, with the Mexican 50s reissue. Um, precision base which is essentially a 57 58 style p base i put some seymour duncan quarter pounders in that because the mexican pickups that were in the 50s base at the time were really you know just very very thin um incredibly thin um and and yeah the quarter pounders if anything are a bit too much they're actually a pickup that you're not a massive fan of the quarter pounders
1: Uh, yeah, they're just like too chunky sounding. Um, yeah, they're not for me They're The thing I like about P-Bass is like, yes, it's, it's very mid range heavy and it's very direct, but it's also got a bit of smoothness to it. And the quarter pounders just don't have that. It's just, it's basically that mid range turned up to 11. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly what I want, but I, I appreciate that. That's not what you want. No, not for me. Um, can we take a question for the chat? We will get round to the main topic. We'll start the show at some point. Um, so a question from Christian who says, uh, how do you feel about the pricing on the Music Man Mariposa? I definitely like it, but the pricing seems a bit steep considering the St. Vincent and the Valentine. Uh, considering, sorry, considering the St. Vincent and the Valentine. Almost bull family reserve money. What do you think? Joey B.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're what? £3,000 for a Mariposa, and I guess that is a t- that is... There is a bit more. Music man traditionally have occupied that sort of uh, two thousand um, uh, pound sort of area. The three grand is a lot because now we're talking about for a Mariposa. That's more money than a Fender Custom Shop for something that is you know that is essentially stock and off the shelf. So it is a it is a big old a big old chunk of money. It's count that that is counted slightly i think by the fact that this is a signature model for the greatest guitarist who has ever lived or ever will live <laughs> and so for me that kind of that that makes that a, a little bit more palatable sort of the desire to own something that's had something in some way to do with Omar rodriguez lopez is is very appealing but uh but yes it is uh it i i don't know i i don't know why it's it's so much more is the thing because you, you're absolutely right in mentioning the valentine and the and the st vincent both signature models that have come out in really quick succession you know to, you know the, it was only last year for the valentine or whatever and the year before for the vincent and now the mariposa and there does seem to be a, a, a strangely large sort of you know 30 percent shaped whole <laughs> sort of increase in uh, in price for for this one so so what's the sure. what's the um, msrp on like a valentine uh I'm not sure like two, two, two three, I think right. off the top of my head, I might actually have to check that whilst we're doing that and just see the uh the the difference um but but yes, the Mariposa is certainly the most expensive um yeah, the most expensive uh signature model that yeah. makes it matter about in a while think the thing is right value. You know obviously
1: value can be determined in a few different ways. You know, is it the cost of the materials, or is it you know the workmanship that goes into it, or is it the value that people place on that guitar? You know, they've been people have been specul- speculating about this guitar for a long time. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people that want it. And I imagine even at the three grand price point, they're probably going to st- sell a bunch of them.
0: Um, I, I think, I think there's yeah, certainly Omar Rodriguez Lopez has enough sort of uh um emphatic fans like myself who who wouldn't mind the price tag I think when you talk about the actual bonuses of the guitar is, is there that much a difference you know I don't I don't know did the did the printing on the scratch plate make that much of a difference I mean one thing that's you know that's that's pretty cool is if you were looking for something that was the incredible quality that you get from a um from a music man but you know because the the Mariposa has that just like the St. Vincent has that just like the uh uh, the valentine has that they're all incredibly built really brilliant innovative instruments but i mean at the moment the the valentine um it, with regards to the valentine they've got there are a load of Bull family reserves that are kind of out and about on the marketplace at the moment there's like a you can get a baby blue block inlay uh chrome hardware, um uh, valentine for the same price as uh as you can get a a mariposa at the moment from peach guitars for for three grand and uh and and you can get there's there's also like gold hardware um pine I'm out. green I'm out no come away. on come on block inlays rosewood neck uh, uh you said the uh, worst thing you said gold hardware and it's just yeah. that's it gold for me. hardware Don't. and pine green which is essentially british racing green block inlays that's all you want two nine 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 that's that's pretty fantastic
1: um, a good point in the chat from Czech Chap who says, um, Do you think they make more money from the big sales on the sterlings? Maybe they're just putting the Mariposa in the shop window to, se- to sell eventual sterlings. Um, I've not heard that there's going to be like a sterling model or anything
0: of the Mariposa yet. I mean, maybe down the line. But I mean, there's certainly gonna- really sterling models of everything else. I guess the question here really is will this one float? Will this one be successful? Because there's another signature model out and about that doesn't have a sterling version yet, which is the. Um, I've forgotten his name, the fella from Thrice, who's got a signature model. Oh, of course, yeah. He's yeah, the yeah. only person from Music Man to get a signature model that's not actually a signature model. His isn't his own body shape. His is a, uh, uh, I want to say cutlass, but I think I'm saying the wrong one. Maybe it's a stingray. I think it is. I think it's cut- a stingray. Yeah. I think it's a stingray. Yeah, you're right. So he, he, you know, he's the first one to get a signature model that's not, you know, the Thrice guitar you know essentially ken's rue thank you jay yeah that's it um but yeah uh he doesn't have a sterling version of of it yet but then it's a less exp- you know creative model it's just a sort of pickup configuration and a, and a satin finish essentially but it'd be interesting to see if the mariposa makes it to sterling i think it has every chance of doing that it's it's certainly inventive and creative enough The the thing that seems to be the the polarizing bit about the mariposa is that scratch plate
1: yeah yeah that's the thing for me is that obviously you know signature models it's always the case where there'll probably be features on there that you don't like um for example the Val- james valentine absolutely love a guitar hate the idea of having an active preamp in there just not for me so um yeah there'll always be things like that but it, kind of what there's two points that i think firstly I think it's it would be weird if there isn't eventually a sterling model for the uh, Kensuru, uh signature and the Mariposa, because for me, they actually seem like, you know, there would be more buyers out there for that than, say, like, Albert Lee and uh, uh, even James Valentine for to, to an extent, you know, because, you know, I think certainly in the case of Albert Lee, probably the people listening to Albert Lee's music are a bit older and probably have a bit more
0: disposable income. So um, there's a, there's a bit of a different story with the Albert Lee signature model. Cause I think I'm, I'm sure you were there, Mark, but years ago, Albert Lee came and did an in-store in, in GAC. And I think it was, Oh, was, was there. Yeah. I was there. You were there. Yeah. And he was, he was talking about it, about the Albert Lee signature model in, You know, in his little bit. And he was saying um, that the guitar wasn't essentially designed for him. They had it already and they were looking for someone who liked it enough to put their name to it. And that ended up being being him. But certainly it was uh, it wasn't him that came up with the shape, essentially.
1: Right. I got it. And and now, you know, it's kind of known as the Albert Lee. And as we talked on the podcast, what, a couple of weeks ago, the Sterling Albert Lee is more like their entry level Sterling, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a different thing to, let's say, the St. Vincent or the Valentine, which are, you know, that is kind of their... It's their way into music man almost. But yeah, so that's one thing. But also just speaking to a larger point really, the the Mariposa obviously has been, you know, headline grabbing and you know, it's the guitar that everyone's wanted for ages. Maybe they are pricing it at a point where they're like, Look, we're actually not going to make that many of these. So If people want to buy them, they're going to be really into it and they're going to spend the money. But what it's done as a larger thing is like get more, even more eyes on the Music Man brand and the Sterling brand uh, in a similar way that the um, St. Vincent model did. You know, it's not a guitar that everyone can afford, um, but it's certainly raised the profile of Music Man guitars completely.
0: 100%. I think Sterling's place in the market has changed massively uh, over the last few years like uh what, what was it called before it was sterling what was it olp is that right uh
1: yeah there was olp yeah yeah the, and actually the first olps were absolutely amazing like if you can find one of the first run olp stingray basses they, they had are one of those phenomenal. passive
0: passive large flake sparkle blue um uh olp maple necked stingray i absolutely love that guitar
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, they were so good. The the different colours that they came in, there was like a blue
0: one, black one. They were all like thick, uh, like metal flake yeah, finishes. Really good. Really good. I, uh, I obviously bought that when I was into uh, punk rock and then, you know, eventually discovered prog and weird music and uh, spray painted it moss green.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, completely ruined it.
0: <laughs> yeah i did completely ruin it
1: typical joe branton um we've got another question from the chat we're going to in a second um so guitar bob's question was any thoughts on the next waza craft it's been a while
0: what do you think Next Waza craft well i mean i'm i'm still you know gunning for the same thing that loads of people did a you know a, a space echo in oh i guess that can't be a waza can it it would have to no, be an x series got, it's got to be an existing it's got to be pedal. something that exists oh yeah Oh, that's that's tricky. They've not done a Wazza Spectrum yet, and uh, that was uh, that that was definitely a cool pedal. Slow Gear has been suggested by Jeff in the chat. That is a good old shout. But I think maybe things like it's about time. So Boss did some really good pitch shifters. They just don't do really good pitch shifters anymore. Like the PS2 was an absolutely fantastic pedal, but the Harmonist just has too much on it and the shifting is just too digital um and and you know ev- everyone just bought pogs instead to be honest but the ps2 that was an absolute cracker it had some wicked features on it that allowed you to sort of stutter your pitches do slow rise slow drops um and had some really cool like uh tight delay features on there as well it was kind of a bit of a sort of delay come pitch shifter and it? it just had so much on there that you could do um, I'd love to see a PS2 back back in the room. I thought it was a great pedal. How do we feel about the
1: uh, digital metalizer W, which was now we've been sitting. I can't even remember what the, the code for that uh, that pedal was, but that, I think that's the one that's got the uh, delay, chorus, and. Someone correct me on this in the chat, but I think it's delay chorus and it's a, a like a metal sounding pedal, really yeah. digital, really kind of 80s sounding. I think they should bring that back. If they've done the MT2, why not do the digital metalizer?
0: The thing is, they've kind of al- already done all, all the really, really good ones. We've had the, the dimension chorus, which was fantastic. We had the, the first chorus, the C1, whatever it was. Was it C1? C2? Uh,
1: See one
0: the cor I don't know. See, I can't but remember. We had that first chorus. We had the vibrato, the VB two. They brought back. They brought back the dimension, and they did the analog delay. And to be honest, those are all the vintage boss pedals that had kind of become really super expensive. Um, you know, th- those were the ones that people were looking for. Oh, they did. Did they do the compressor? No, they released the compressor as an X, didn't they? Because you had their yeah. CS2, which was an absolutely fantastic pedal. Uh, you know, my favorite bass player, Juan direct, was always going on about how good his old boss CS2 was. And bear in mind, you know, at that point in his career, he could he could play absolutely anything, and he was using one of those CS2s. They were absolutely fantastic. But I guess they released the X series for them, so it would be weird for them to release that as a Wazza. Also tricky for you to release a compressor as a Wazza craft thing. Because these days everyone's obsessed with doing compression correctly. So all compression pedals now are like multi-band studio style compressors. And you know, because people aren't a fan of the old original style compressor, because of course, with an old, you know, an old analog compressor, in order to compress your high end appropriately, you're over compressing your low end, or you know, to compress your low end, you're you're not compressing your high end. And kind of people have started thinking of that as a bad thing in this sort of weird hunt for, uh, you know, digital meticulous perfection in guitar sound rather than just accepting that sometimes things sound a bit naff and that can be really cool. Like the over compressed sound of a bass can be a really great sounding thing, and it certainly, you know, wasn't a problem on any of the fantastic, incredible records that have, you know, occurred over the last sort of you know, 40, 50 years. So, I, I'd love to see a, a you know, the 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 original C- uh CS2 um back. but I doubt I doubt they'd do that. So here's one for you.
1: Underappreciated boss pedal uh that could do with some more features and a nice reissue and a load of hype around it. How about SL20W, a reissue of the slicer, but with oh. more features? I mean, <laughs>
0: but uh, you can't w- you can't do a double pedal, you can't do a double pedal pedal uh was it, can you?
1: Uh why
0: not? Let's well in that case in that case i'll have a space echo
1: well yeah yeah, you could do RE20, uh, re20w re twenty i guess jay jay in the chat has pointed out which i already knew is the slicer is still a current pedal but i want them to do another one but with more features uh i think it would be you know there's so much stuff that you could bring into that pedal it's already does like loads of weird and unique stuff we know it's underrated um yeah, they could just do it with some more stuff on it, and I think it'd Jeff be amazing. Is,
0: Jeff is pointing out that the Slicer is too niche. The slicer has been an absolute um, a, a pedal that has always been on Tim, my guitarist board. Also, the 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 guitarist in in Clit trip one of my favorite bands at the moment, uh, builds entire beats using the slicer and then running them into a a separate looper and then looping those beats up based on those sort of uh, the the rhythmic. Tremolo functions of the slicer. I think that pedal is fantastic, and don't forget, you've also got a looper built into the slicer. Like the slicer is an incredibly underrated, incredibly versatile uh, pedal. Um, everyone should own one. I have no idea why it's considered niche. I agree with Jeff; it is considered niche. But I mean, you know, new companies bring out tremolos all the time, from sort of you know Earthquaker to you know whatever tiny little boutique company. And you know, sometimes we we try them out, or we get sent them, and they're all absolutely fantastic. But I just have no idea why none of them are trying to be or t- are trying to do as many things as the slicer does. It's it's weird, isn't it? Like you get these new things, and new pedals are kind of most of the time supposed to be advancements on on what's come before. But no one's even trying to fit the amount of incredible features that you get on a slicer onto a yeah,
1: hundred percent. Jay you raises a good point, um, saying that. Isn't that where the 200 series sits? And yeah, I agree. Actually, SL200 would be, that's the ideal because that's like the, new, rather than, uh, you know, put that in a Waza line and maybe put it in a compact pedal, actually just do a new slicer that's in the 200 series box with loads of features and uh, yeah, loads of stuff going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So I'm um, talking about that. It leads us nicely actually into the topic that we uh, said that we would talk about this evening is what gear we would talk about Uh, that we want to see in 2020 so i'll let you kick off what um what do you want to see next year that would uh, potentially reach your gear of the year list at the end of the year
0: well i made a i made a little list of things that i'd look forward to but you know in 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 the if i started at the top i'd be kicking off with boss in the same place that uh that you know that we left off in the um i want i want an ms3 mark ii Okay, that sounds really dull. Sounds really dull, doesn't it? I'm not thinking of new things. I'm thinking of updates. But certainly the MS-3, really popular pedal. Fantastic. Like what a wonderful move on from the ES-8, the ES-5. It gave you all of those effects built in, plus the ability to plug in three separate pedals. It allowed all those players using massive boards to sort of downsize their boards and utilize the incredible range of features that you get on an MS-3. And the amount of outboard things that you can plug in, you know, to make sure that you're, you know, from from being able to plug into expression pedals to uh, using some of the outputs to control channel amps to having an output designated to scrolling up and down through your presets, for example, and then having your three pedals on top of that. And then being able to make every single button on that MS3 do ev- anything you want from assigning one of the buttons to be being a tuner to saying hey if i double tap instead of single tap this pedal i want that to bring an octave in underneath my drive pedal like it's so incredibly intuitive and wonderfully versatile as and very you know very kind of uh um designer techie like this is really a pedal made by a fella in a lab (laughs) you know it's 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 that sort of thing you've got a deep dive on the pedal to really get the most out of it But there were a few things that they'd missed out, like the fact that you couldn't separate um, uh, the the input. So the three pedals that you plugged in were in that series, which which could be problematic because, you know, for example, if uh, um, if you were running a a, if you had a drive in there, but you also had um, a delay in there. If you then wanted to use the modulation that was built into the MS3 on a patch where you also wanted to run the drive and the delay, you had to choose whether you had that modulation running before the drive and delay or after it. You couldn't have it in between, and that was kind of a bit of a not not the end of the world, but a a bit of a problem. I think when you're you know it really makes you have to choose what pedals you're putting in your chain and making sure they're all similar things so that you can make sure that you're using the built-in stuff in the right order in your effects chain so there were kind of a few things that they could you know work out a little bit i think maybe also they made it a touch too small it could have used a couple more buttons but i really think you know at a time where people are starting to use more switches more helix style effects and of course boss have the you know the gt1000 and everything for that i'd love to see an ms3 with just a a couple of improvements to just sort of re-maximize on that on that market hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you
1: I mean, conceptually, I think the MS3 is a, a great kind of idea. And the MS3, I think, is going to be a great building uh, building block for them, you know, moving forward. in that It's kind of half switcher, half multi-effects. Um, and, yeah, I think, uh, you know, they could go from that. Just taking some suggestions from the chat, you know, people are talking about, you know, there's nobody in, um, so that could potentially be added. Obviously, you know, we've talked about having loops that are... Uh, Uh, you know you can separate the the loops you know imagine if that there was those at least three kind of individual loops on there um and you had all the multi-effects capability as well that would be a phenomenal
0: bit of kit yeah absolutely and i think that there could definitely be an expansion in the effects they have built in there i think there's nothing wrong with learning from other companies on the market i'm not saying that you know because line six obviously line six route is let's shove 500 effects onto our pedal but of course you know probably 300 of them are different shades of the same thing you know whereas boss tend to be like well here's your delay this is the delay you have and this is the drive that you have they they tend to be a bit more functional i think line six go too far one way you know it's it's difficult to know if you're choosing the right thing with line six because there's just too much there but with boss they maybe. They could give you a bit more. They could give you a few more options on there. I'd like to see them utilize some of the incredible effects they've been releasing. Um, You know, things like you don't have Dimension Chorus on the MS3. Um, The slicer capabilities are really basic, Uh, (laughs) you know, as, as that is important. But they've released a load of cool stuff, and everything that's been released afterwards, they haven't made a version on the MS3, and they seem to release the MS3 and then probably put out like 40 pedals so it could do with a you know a, a second going over Talking of another pedal
1: brand, I'd kind of like to see some new stuff from, although they do release new stuff all the time. Um, Strymon, I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with, you know, like the uh, Big Sky, you know, all the big pedals that they do, because obviously Ah. they've been out quite some time now and they've got a lot of serious competition, you know, primarily from Boss, you know, with the 200 series and the 500 series. I just want to know if next year is going to be the year that we see those discontinued and they bring out a... uh, A new update
0: what do you think that'd be interesting certainly i think they kind of need to because do you remember when everyone had empress well you probably you play punk but you know i remember whenever when when all the bands that i played with had empress on their boards yeah and and then strymon happened and then everyone had strymon on their board and now you know boss have definitely they've managed to Know, really work into that market, but I think maybe the problem Boss had was they made the same exactly the same things as Stroyman, and it didn't matter that Boss was saying you know that technically they were better. They put, they probably were people that had already committed that money on a Stroyman, and there wasn't enough different about the Boss to make people switch up. So Boss have definitely worked their way into that market, but I see that in in equal split. The Empress stuff has all but disappeared because Stroyman was the thing that came after. So I think definitely they they need an update. They need something new and exciting in that sort of line of things to to reinvigorate them. Certainly when Fender are releasing things like the reflecting pool, which I which I think was an absolutely fantastic um, sort of ambient pedal. Uh, so they've got yeah they've got to do something. I definitely think a move away from focusing on flipping IR pedals i I couldn't i couldn't care less about that pedal i I couldn't care less about it i want to see something interesting and innovative from strymon for next year
1: i think the ir thing so it's something that i've been thinking about for a while in terms of like I would like to have an easy solution for home recording that doesn't have loads of... Like, HX Stomp is a cool bit of kit, but it's just not for me. There's too much stuff on it. I don't need to wade through all that just to get some, you know, nice, Fender clean Fender amp sounds. Um, so the Strymon is interesting. Obviously, it's a lot of money. Um, and also, you know, I did some AB, testing, uh, AB comparison, and again, it was YouTube videos, so, you know, make of that what you will. Um, but I went back and listened to some, like, sans amps like gt2s and stuff and yeah they definitely don't sound anywhere or they don't sound as good as the Strymon, but you can also get them for like 80 quid um and i kind of want something that sits in between those two you know i i can't i just can't afford the Strymon. um i would like something around 200 pounds for example that just does some really basic amp modeling um and yeah. doesn't it doesn't have any effects it or maybe has you know it has like um uh like tremolo and reverb on it that's basically what i want nice kind of clean fender amp or you know a basic or you know a vox or you know a couple of different sounds but and just some some basic tremolo and reverb um but doesn't cost
0: 500 pounds or 400 pounds yeah, yeah, or whatever that's, that's a good point is. of course you know you've also got to mention two notes in here like <laughs> i kind of think two notes have been doing what these guys have been doing for years it's just uh <laughs> it's just they didn't have the yeah, but the, I mean the even, YouTube even the, videos. <laughs>
1: well, the, even the setup on that is fair. Well, not fairly complicated, but for example, you know, I didn't particularly like the amp modeling side of the preamp pedals because the preamp pedals had some. I think you know one or maybe two uh like power amp and then cab models in there, and I didn't think they sounded fantastic. They sounded okay, um, but the uh then you know when you paired them up with the two the torpedo cab they sounded pretty good but that's also a lot of kit and also the torpedo cab again just had like a bit too much stuff in it for me like wait you know being able to move the mic and all that sort of stuff i just don't really need that i just need a good amp model that sound that sounds really nice basically what what i want is something that's as simple as like a pod 2 but sounds much better
0: I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, or or you could just get a Katana for 200 quid and have a, uh, you know, a completely, (laughs) you know, analog amp that sounds fantastic.
1: Um, yeah, the, uh, the only thing about that is that I don't particularly like the direct output on the, uh, on the Katana. Um, and maybe, may, well, I've only listened to it on headphones and maybe the headphones I was listening to on, you know, weren't, I mean, they're then the kind of reference monitoring headphones and just sound a little harsh. I love how the amp sounds itself, but yeah, plugging the headphones in, I just, I thought sounded a little, uh, uh, thin.
0: Had had uh, my first witnessing of uh, of someone's struggle to get a nice tone out of a katana the really? other day. Well, yeah, actually, um, the band um, that I'm touring with is a band called Body Hound. And listeners, um, you have to go and check out Body Hound. I think they are one of the most interesting bands um, that I've ever, ever heard. Certainly one of the most technically able bands in the weirdest way. Um, and, and as, and as people, they're also wonderful and all of them absolutely crazy. They're, they're, you know, a really strange bunch, but wonderful. Um, and their, their guitar, one of their two guitarists, um, uh, amps had blown up just before we went on tour with them. So he, he asked if he could borrow one of Tim's Katanas, which is fine. Um, and, uh, he plays, he plays a, a jazz master, and he absolutely couldn't find a find a way to he he kept complaining that it was too spiky that was his thing and of course it's a jazz master he virtually exclusively plays it on the on the bridge pickup and uh even i really struggled like messing around flipping between sort of using 50 or 100 watts maxing out the master and controlling it with the gain and the the volume, switching between the clean, crunch, and lead channel to try and find something that just took the edge off a little bit. Um, I really found it hard to find something that worked with his particular style of slightly pushed clean, which uh seems unusual. I think I think it is more that the guitar was incredibly thin. And I think yeah. he, he was used to playing with a very soupy um you know, valve amp. Uh, which which kind of made good for it, but I've but I've always been very much like I've never come up with a situation where I can't make a katana sound good with any guitar that I've plugged into it, and that's that's all the guitars at you know from the Harlequin Guitar Club, and that's you know including Tim playing his sort of weird left-handed upside down SGs through it. There's never been a struggle to make a katana sound good, but I really couldn't couldn't get that jazzmaster to sound good through a katana. I was very surprised.
1: Yeah, I've found actually that so my sound on there and you know, the guitar that I've got at home that I use most is the Les Paul Junior. Uh, My sound is basically the clean tone with the gain all the way up. So it's just kind of on the edge of breakup. Like when you dig in, um, it starts to break up. And I found that that's kind of one of the reasons that I'm playing so much of the Junior at the moment and not the Baja is that. It sounds really good with the Junior, and it doesn't sound fantastic with the uh, with the Bahar tally. It sounds pretty good, um, and unfortunately, also that SG that I bought primarily to sell um, sounds really good with the Katana. Like humbuckers on that sound set just sound fantastic, yeah. um, And just you know, an aggressive, fairly spiky single coil. I'm struggling to to get to find a setting that beats
0: the Les Paul Junior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guitar Bob and uh, and Jeff have both pointed out in the chat, uh, you know, something that I will like Guitar Bob has said he knows that it's ridiculous, but Katanas just don't look as nice as a lot of tube amps. And I I think that's a really valid point. I don't know. I don't know where the design came from for Katana. It it, it seems odd that they could produce something that looks so ugly when they do such a great job of the uh, of the blues cubes. Um, And, you know, managing to make them look so fantastic and sort of, you know, that vintage come modern um, sort of
1: appeal. So here's my here's my thoughts on it is that what they've actually done very well with the Katana. And personally, you know, I much prefer the look of something like the the Blues Cube stuff because, you know, I love vintage Fender amps and, you know, vintage Marshall amps and and that kind of styling. But what they have done is the Katana is no one's favorite looking amp, but I also don't know anyone who hates it to the point that they
0: wouldn't buy it. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's so, true. That's that's, a, that's an excellent point. You know what Tim did? He just he just sent his Tazilla cabs and got new meshes put on them to make them look better.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about that a few times on the podcast, and it's something that I might do down the line. Um, they're, so,
0: they're so incredibly cheap that actually by the time you've done that, you've still paid less than you would for <laughs> so for anything else on the market that sounds half as good.
1: Yeah, 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 I, I, I completely agree. And like I was saying, you know, I think that what they've done with the Katana is they've made something that appeals to a lot of people. And actually, you know, like you're saying, like people who are doing your whatever ridiculous metal it is that you do, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> pe- pe- people are still playing Katanas. And, you know, would they even look at the amp if it looked like a, a, a blues cube? You know, the blues cubes definitely got a kind of old blues, ma- blues man uh, yeah. vibe to it.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I mean, Tim certainly gets a definitely has had a hard time for moving katana's in, in, in moving two katana's on a scene that almost exclusively plays orange amps. Um, but I think in in general, when people have heard it, everyone's been like, "Oh, yeah, these actually sound great." But th- yeah. that's this the proof is in the pudding with the katana. It's just a shame they couldn't, you know, make them look like an old plexi or something.
1: Well, sure. But, you know, like, for example, like, I actually quite like the sound of 5150s, like the original one. Would I own a 5150 head? Absolutely not, because it looks like a 5150. It looks um, stupid.
0: PV. Yeah, yeah. PV. Even, even the, de- the what was it called? The Delta, uh, the Delta Blues. Help me out. Yeah, it was the yeah, Delta classic, Blues, wasn't it? classic 30 Delta the, Blues. Oh, yeah, the classic 30 Delta Blues. Oh, that's what I want. But then it's got this ridiculous PV logo on the front. No.
1: I would love to know more about PV's design decisions over the years because they had things like the Triple X uh which had a kind of um the wrestler uh no that is Triple H they had the Triple X which was like a kind of uh raunchy themed guitar head, like it had some kind of kind of naked figures on it um and they also had oh what was the other one called they had some sort of Obviously, they did the the Dweezel Zappa signature, which is one of the best slash worst looking amps of all time. Um, But they've just done a few that are like, they just look bad. And I want to know who was designing them. But then, of course, yeah, they did things like the the Classic Series, which are just great kind of Fender looking amps.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I messaged you the the other day because um, I started like uh, reading about or learning about PV Foundation series. Uh, oh yeah, guitars. yeah, yeah. So, so here's the thing with PV—they're kind of no one's favourites at the moment. And the the upside, the upside of that is they made some fantastic stuff, and it's all really cheap at the moment. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm sure it's just because no one likes the logo. But you know, I discovered I I was reading about this PV Foundation series uh, sort of bass guitars, kind of sort of jazz-ish style bass guitars with with humbuckers, American made. You know, really high spec, really nice um, uh, sort of custom designed pickups. Like this is a, this is an American instrument. It's it's the real deal, proper. Pick those up for about three hundred pounds. Yeah
1: even Definitely. the ones that are more well known so like the t50 uh, t40s and t50s which are the american made uh, the old ones the old ones kind of 70s 80s i think i don't know exactly the yeah. years um but i've had a, those, a couple pass
0: through my hands in the years yeah they're great yeah
1: yeah. people kind of know about those that they know that they're really good even those you can get for like 500 quid yeah,
0: yeah and absolutely. they're
1: they're fantastic guitars. Um, they are a bit quirky, obviously, and you know, like the pickups are not a standard size, so I don't think you could just drop different pickups in or do any mods or anything. No, the pickups um, are super but weird, really cheap, and like made in America, and very, very good.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. yeah it's a uh, they're it's a PVR a brand that have made some fantastic stuff, and there's definitely there's deals to be had at the moment. I've got a feeling they're gonna they're gonna come back
1: i'd say what else i keep seeing recently is um high-end yamaha pacificas um from when they you know they first started doing the range um you know things that would have been you know eight or like 900 quid you can get for like 100 quid and they're amazing guitars
0: oh yeah that's yeah uh, that's, that's what you want
1: um so going back to our original topic is there anything else that you want to see from next year
0: Um, so I'll move away from sort of the, you know, the ones that we always talk about Boston and and Fender. Um, so things that I know that are going to happen that I'm excited about is the relaunch of Ampeg. It's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I don't even know if that's happening this next year. I hope it's happening next year. Certainly Yamaha have sat on the company for a year, so it would be great to see this return of Ampeg. I'm very excited about that. Um, I kind of feel like I should move away from talking about basses because I've I've done that an awful lot. And I'm flicking through my list and my list is like, I want Fender to do a 51P bass again, um, which is also a bass. I want Status to release an affordable line of graphite instruments, you know, all, all the standard things that, that I'm expecting from 2020. Um, uh, but here we go gibson all right okay fine i know i'm talking about another major um what if they you know because they're still going through this this rebrand at the moment they're still sort of finding their way finding their new path what if they introduced a quality line of um of sort of introduction of, of like affordable introduction level gibsons you know and, and, We've had them before with the LPJ and and you know the SGJ and things like that, and of course they did their Amazon exclusive instruments, which were you know were very very budget, too budget. But I want to see Gibson try and compete because let's you know Epiphone are competing with Squire, that's done, so that doesn't we don't need to talk about those. But Fender still have Fender Mexico; they're still producing five hundred, you know, six hundred pound guitars. With Fender on the headstock, I want to see. And, and and the thing is, with the player series being so good, all those Fender players look as good. Their features might not be as good, but they look as good as guitars twice their price, triple their price from Fender because the, the colors they've done are so good. the The neck profiles, the subtle tinting. On the lacquer like that they, they all look incredible what i want to see is gibson not bring out an lpj which is roughly a les paul shape if it had been sort of cut out by someone with a blindfold and hey we've thrown some you know crap blue paint at it and it sort of looks roughly like a guitar but we slapped gibson on the headstock so it's the same price as a you know a really nice mexican player strat i'd really like to see a high quality you know not high quality but i'd like to see them put out a, core, a good core line of instruments that that follow classic trends, but with some features trimmed down.
1: As uh, Czech Chap brings up in the chat, I think there's actually been some kind of murmurings about a big reshuffle for Epiphone next year. Um, yes. The, the new Gibson CEO was talking about it, and I do think headstocks will be part of that. But well, I th-
0: obviously, I assume they've watched that video that you made.
1: Well, of course, you know, why not? You know, they all ever taken inspiration from me, uh, as everyone should. But, um, yeah, I think there'll be new headstocks. I also think they're going to completely reshape the line entirely for it to make more sense than it does, because... Uh, you know, even working in a guitar shop, but towards the end, even I was confused about like, you know, some guitars are like come with the outfit stuff, which I think just means they come with a case. But there's like two options. One's quite a lot. And then, you know, they they started adding like a lot of kind of coil taps and like piezos and stuff and calling it the pro model. And there's just a lot going on. And I think that could have been uh, trimmed back. A lot um and i think that would be great for gibson you know uh, go up more, for the epiphone line go up to you know six or seven hundred quid as long as the guitars are really good and they've got a good
0: headstock well we know don't that even they mind can... it says epiphone you know well exactly and we know that they can do epiphone well epiphone have done fantastic things in the last few years look at look at things like the firebird one um that they did the uh joe bonamassa oh, yeah yeah uh, see, that was absolutely fantastic and we know that they still do some great stuff at the top end of Epiphone. A lot of those outfits have been really cool. Certainly on the base front, when they they released like a metal pickup style Thunderbirds and and old uh, Embassy style bases and stuff like that, they they can do it. It's just they don't always.
1: Yeah, and I think that will be. Uh... That would be fantastic. Water bottle in the chat is uh, asking about how mo- uh, how about more single coil pickups uh, with non traditional body shapes? What are we uh, what are we saying? What would you uh, what would you want to see? Um, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, more.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I <laughs>
0: I'd love oh, sorry, to see no, sorry.
1: single pickups, not single
0: coil. I misread that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I'm a huge fan of anything that's going to be single pickup. Um, obviously this stuff that looks like it's coming out of fender japan at the moment looks really interesting you know having the having an option on this on the swinger with oh, a single got... we're
1: going to talk about that i think a lot in the main podcast this week yeah,
0: of course but there's a single pickup option and, and that's really interesting in itself for being sort of a single kind of neck pickup guitar that would be great but you know i'm a sucker for a melody maker as well i'd love to see um you know, some single, single coil melody makers. I Look, people's pedal boards on the whole, maybe not on the whole, certain, you know, because I only see the circles I move in, but pedal boards are, are big at the moment. People are doing most of their stuff through there. I don't know how many people who aren't playing in function bands really honestly need coil taps or, you know, three pickups in a guitar. That there's so so much you can do with just your board these days. And I I kind of love the sort of functionality of a simple single pickup guitar. So across the board, I'd love to see that. I mean, come on, how many how many punk bands would buy? Doesn't even have to be a signature model like it like it was before. But how many punk bands would buy a single humbucker, no other pickup, Stratocaster, if it was if it was brought out? Yeah, well, I tell you that what, thing would sell I'll like just... hotcakes.
1: I was just thinking about it. Have they ever done a single pickup Strat? And actually, they did for a while the Strat Junior, which was a mahogany bodied. Uh, and it was bolt on neck. It wasn't a glued neck. Uh, mahogany body, but with a just a single coil in the bridge. And it wasn't like a Strat single coil. I think it was a DeArmond single coil. Um, so basically, it was their version of a Les Paul Junior. And those guitars were absolutely incredible
0: yeah yeah i've i've never seen those i think the only thing i ever saw was the tom de signature model oh that's true yeah of course they've done a guitar which is why I was, yeah. I was yeah i was i was talking about that as a reference point but like it wouldn't they wouldn't have to emulate that of course that came with a seymour duncan invader which whilst it looked fantastic was completely unusable uh it didn't make any sense but uh
1: yeah, the good thing about the um the Strat Junior was it was actually in the same way that a Les Paul Junior is very versatile even with a single pickup. Um the Strat Junior had that as well. You know, really responsive with the volume, really responsive with your playing. Um I wonder if those how many of those guitars are out there because I would absolutely love one of those.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I have no idea. I haven't I- even really seen any in the wild. Obviously, the, the Epiphone 333 Tom DeLong signature model with the dirty fingers, that was a cracker.
1: I'm kind of tempted by one of those. Again, it's another guitar that you can get really cheap at the moment. Like, I see secondhand ones going for like, 250 quid really
0: they've gone yeah. down that like god I absolutely love those i tell you what sucker for a mocha finish on a guitar with a cream speed stripe one pickup and one volume control it was just it was one of those things where it was just it was just a bridge too far like i would love to i loved it i loved the way it sounded i loved the way it played uh, you know it, uh, i loved the look of that guitar i thought it was great but it was so absolutely a a Tom DeLonge signature model, it was just that bit too far. Like you could play a, you know, a a Roger Waters P bass because it's a black P bass with a maple neck, you know. But the the Tom DeLonge Epiphone 333 was, you know, you were absolutely playing a Blink-182 guitar. (laughs) And that that kind of ruined it for me
1: no way uh no way around that um i think we are going to wrap up in a second unless there's any more questions from the chat if there is uh send them over right now uh, if you want to come on the line in the last we've got a couple minutes if you want to come on the line and ask us a question you can do that as well um joe what's uh, what's coming up in the in the world of guitar nerds in the next couple of weeks have we got anything uh on the way
0: well, we've got Gear of the Year round the corner, so we're, uh, you know, it, it's it's approximately a month away um, at the moment. But, uh, but of course, um, you know, in the meantime, we're going to be talking about all the things that we're being sent to considering Gear of the Year. I think Gear of the Year is going to kind of feature in in our discussion on the regular podcast a little bit more uh, over the over the next few weeks as we really start to form our opinions <laughs> on uh, on what we're going to argue about and of course uh, you know as as we're in we're, we're not too far away from black friday and that means that the every single brand and every single retailer um uh, are sort of you know looking at, at, at putting out things for black friday uh and i, I think we'll, we'll start to see maybe what those are and uh, and what things you can get for cool prices at the moment so that that'll be fun
1: question from aaron in the chat it says speaking of the uh wampler terraform do you have one on hand will it be included for gear of the year have we um have we been sent one
0: um sorry say that again i was reading jay's message oh the yeah uh, the wampler terraform
1: are we gonna is it gonna be up for inclusion in gear of the oh, year have yes
0: yes it, it will be it, the terraform will be up for inclusion in gear of the year have yes. we been sent one um, I don't know because I've been on tour. There are about 50 messages, but I did speak to Brian about it. So yes, that should definitely be, uh, something we're doing. Good.
1: Good. Good. Um, guitar Bob in the chat says gear of the year is such a part of Christmas for me now, just like die hard and decorating the tree. Do we know when the podcast is going out? Uh,
0: yes, we certainly do. The, uh, the podcasts for gear of the year will be airing, from the 16th through to the 20th of December. Um, Yeah, it's a little bit earlier
1: this year, just just because of the way that the days fall. Like, if we released it, I can't remember exactly. Christmas is on, like, a Wednesday or something, isn't it? So if we released it, like, Monday, Tuesday, because we normally do, like, Monday to Friday. That is actually
0: what we're doing, yes. You're getting Monday to Friday, but you're getting from the 16th to the 20th.
1: Yeah 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 but what i'm saying is normally we'd try and do it and then it would like the last one would be on like boxing day or christmas day or whatever it just seems yeah. weird to have go out on the monday and then day 3 is the one that you get on christmas day i think that's yeah. stupid so yeah we'll do 16th to the 20th i think that's uh, it's going to be very very good people it's suggesting that it should people suggesting it should be consumed with eggnog
0: oh, yeah why not i i, I don't i, I think uh, i'm getting really into um uh just High quality Scottish whiskey, so I'm going to be consuming it with those. I'm actually, I, I went on a whiskey taster the other week. I'm going on a wine taster, um, you know, in a couple of weeks. So, uh, so you know, so I'm I'm going to be consuming really expensive booze uh, whilst recording.
1: Jay, uh, just bringing up in the chat that the next few weeks are going to be relentless. So he's got uh, Nam coming up, obviously, which is only six weeks away. We've got uh, 40 hours of podcasts to record before that. We've got loads of Patreon stuff going on. Just a little bit of housekeeping. There won't be another Gitana's Live for, what, two weeks now? Um, Because
0: we're skipping a week. Is that right? That's correct. But we're going to put out a question hole in the meantime.
1: Yeah, question hole. I think is not going to be a regular series. I think the way that we're kind of doing it is like what we want is questions on this cast, and then we'll do some question hole stuff like when we've got a decent gap. um There's also loads of stuff to talk about, uh, and we maybe we'll do this on the main podcast. But uh, I've got some great ideas for Patreon next year as well. We're doing. We've already said that we're doing Gear of the Decade, which will be a kind of limited. I'm so
0: excited. That means we can get even angrier about gear than we do on Gear of the Year because we're not just deciding it for that year. We're deciding it for the decade. Yeah, what is, yeah. The, uh, what is okay. the best thing of the last ten years?
1: Well, I don't know. That's what we'll have to decide in Gear of the Decade. Uh, coming up next year. Village um, Modified Aaron brings... Base
0: 6 was the correct answer.
1: No, no, I don't think so. Um, Aaron brings up in the chat Mod Mode. Uh, mod Mode, I don't know if you've seen, if you're not a Patreon already, do go and check out the Patreon page because Mod Mode has an official target amount now that when we hit it uh, with Patreon subscribers, we're going to do videos for our Patreon backers that show us modding various guitars. Mod Mode will see the light of day in 2020, Assuming we hit our Patreon goal. So uh, yeah, if you're listening to the non-live version of this, uh, firstly you'll get to, if you sign up for Patreon, you'll get to join in live with this live podcast, um, but also you'll help us get towards mod mode and those videos will finally see the light of day. Anyway, I think that's um, that's it for this week. If you do want to join in with the live Patreon backers, uh, the live Patreon episode, then you can uh, go to patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds, where from as little as $1 a month, you can get involved in the live episode. $5 a month gets you uh, some extra content every week. And I think that's probably where i don't know where mod mode's gonna sit we'll decide maybe it's a one dollar thing maybe it's a five dollar thing we'll um we'll figure it out um so thanks for listening this week if you've listened live thanks very much if you've joined in even better next time round let's have some more live callers bring your questions to the session and uh, ask them live on the cast do you want to say goodnight, joe Farewell yeah good (laughs) night
0: night Uh, (laughs) night night why did i say night night i don't know i don't know i don't know we'll see you next week for more of this guitar nerdery farewell it feels feels like bedtime we're
1: recording this late so yeah it's bedtime if you listen to this in the morning have have an early sleep if you're not go bed normal time i don't know (laughs)